like a thrilling voice is sounding, Christ is near. It's say, cast away the works of darkness, all you children of the day. Startled at the solemn warning, let the arise. Christ, my son, all sloth dispelling, shines upon the morning skies. See the lamps along, expected, comes with pardon down from them. Let us haste with tears of sorrow, one and all to be church cry out, Come, Lord Jesus. All those who await his appearance pray, Come, Lord Jesus. The whole creation pleads, Come, Lord Jesus. Let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, you have appointed a day in which both the living and the dead shall be judged by the Son of Man. We humbly beseech you, make us diligent in the use of your word and enable us by the grace of your Holy Spirit to walk before you in fervent faith and all holy obedience, that with constant watchfulness and prayer we may look for and hasten unto the second coming of your Son, and being accepted in the judgment, enter with him into his eternal kingdom. Through the same Jesus Christ, your dear Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. You may be seated. Different paper companies, so our congregation at prayer is a little uh, paler purple than, uh, than last week's. This week in the congregation at prayer and our Advent meditations, we move to the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer, Give Us This Day Our Daily bread. Let us uh, recite that portion of the catechism, it, uh, the second part of which is on the second page for those who need it. What is the fourth petition? Give us this day our daily bread. What does this mean? God certainly gives daily bread to everyone without our prayers, even to all evil people. 
but we pray in this petition that God would lead us to realize this and to receive our daily bread with thanksgiving. What is meant by daily bread? Daily bread includes everything that has to do with the support and needs of the body, such as food, drink, clothing, shoes, house, home, land, animals, money, goods, a devout husband or wife, devout children, devout workers, devout and faithful rulers, good government, good weather, peace, health, self-control, good reputation, good friends, faithful neighbors, and the like. Now let's talk about the fourth petition and Advent. Emphasizing this theme, I don't think can be done too much, and that is that Advent in a very real sense, while we're looking forward to Christ's second coming, looking forward to the celebration of his birth, that Advent really celebrates, if I can use that term, celebrates, something that we don't think should be celebrated, namely, what it is to live life on this side of the second coming, on this side of the resurrection. There's so, so many times where we wish that we could get a direct answer for things from our Lord, and we have a direct answer if we have ears to hear, eyes to see. He tells us exactly what life is going to look like between now and his second coming. At one point, he says, as it was in the days of Noah, people will be eating and drinking, marrying and being given in marriage until the flood came and took them all away. So also will it be at the coming of the Son of Man. So those kinds of ordinary things in Noah's time, there was widespread, what? Unbelief, faithlessness. That's right, widespread. That is discouraging for the believer. And I'd like to, you to entertain the idea that it ought not to be. It doesn't mean that we rejoice in unbelief, but... Mama told me we'd have days like these. The Lord told us we'd have days like these. In the gospel for the second Sunday in Advent, signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars, distress of nations, men's hearts failing them for fear and expectation over the things that are coming upon the earth, but see, he's told us these things. So we want a direct answer. This is what it's going to look like. And it, it's spot on, just like he describes. Wars, rumors of wars, famine. Oh, that was cool. <laughs> famine, earthquake, pestilence, loud cracks of thunder, or whatever it is. Okay, It's happening just as he said. So rather than being a source of discouragement, it ought to be a source of encouragement. And that's what this Sunday 
especially highlights. You know, when you, when you see these things, look up, look up. Your redemption draws near. Instead, we are tempted to succumb to what you have there in Jesus' warning at the end of the, the gospel. See that you are not, you know, carousing with drunkenness and the cares of this world, which is often the response like, what difference does it make? The world is going to hell in a handbasket. I might as well. If you can't beat it, join it. Okay? And uh, so there's, there's the danger, when in reality, the things that we are seeing are exactly the way the Lord predicted. Now, what does this have to do with the fourth petition? I remember a couple of instances. I'll mention three. How many of you remember the 1970s and gas lines? Okay. And how many of you remember rhetoric at that time that, you know, this is like the new normal, you know, it's the beginning of the end? And then, well, we haven't had them for a while. Second thing I think about is 9-11. And for many, they thought it was the end of the world. And so for a brief time, some people flooded back to church for a very brief time. Oh, and then I guess it wasn't the end of the world. So then we don't need the church. And then most recently, you know, how many of you thought that, you know, gas prices would go to 5 or $6 a gallon here in Wisconsin and never go back below $4 ever again, you know? My point is, and, and, and they could, maybe they'll be $10 next year a gallon. I don't know. My point, though, is these things ebb and flow, and the emotions and reactions of people's hearts ebb and flow with them. What Advent calls us to is not to get too, T-O-O, excited except for the Lord's word, which is faithful and true and will never fail us. And in Advent, we, as we're waiting in hope for our Lord's coming, we are actually celebrating reality because the reality that we're experiencing is just as Jesus said it would be. So you want proof that the word of God is true? Nothing describes the human condition, life, heart of fallen humanity like God's word does. Nothing. The corruption of sin and what that manifests itself in. Only the Bible describes that. Okay. So it is a way in which in Advent celebrates life in this world. Advent, our entire existence from now till the second coming is like the season of Advent. Okay? All right, I'll, I'll ask the question again to finally get to the fourth petition. What does the fourth petition have to do? Please look at that opening question and answer by Jesus where he says, God certainly gives daily bread to everyone. 
without our prayers, even to all evil people. Whether, and, and for the most part, they don't realize it. Everyone from um, someone in organized crime to a Muslim terrorist to someone else who has no use for God as an atheist who lives um, with arrogance, thumbing his nose at any notion that there is a God, much less a savior. They are all given daily bread. I want you to understand that what this petition says and what Luther accents here is exactly correct. This Christian understanding from the scriptures that if God withdrew his hand for a second, we would all perish, believer and unbeliever alike. God certainly gives daily bread to everyone. What don't you understand about the word everyone? Everyone means everyone. And to underscore that, he says, God certainly gives daily bread to everyone without our prayers, even to all evil people who have no use for God whatsoever. Wow. What is that a sign of? It is a sign of God's universal grace whereby the whole of creation is sustained. And you know, for two reasons. For the benefit of his church, one. So the world is sustained with daily bread, even to all evil people, for the benefit of his church. Two, that the church might bear witness to him who is the provider and sustainer of both temporal and spiritual goods. Then what are we praying for? Give us this day our daily bread. It certainly can't be that if we don't pray for these things, we'll never have them, because if that were true, given our paltry prayers, we would starve. God certainly gives daily bread to everyone without our prayers, even to all evil people, then what are we praying for? We pray in this petition that God would lead us to realize this. And then, realizing this, receive our daily bread with thanksgiving. Which leads us then to how the verse for the week ties in. Having food and clothing for us as Christians, with these we shall be content. Are any of you naked here this morning? I came home the other uh, last week or whatever. Beth was saying, uh, I've got I've to clean out some of this stuff. And the, 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 uh, our master bedroom looked like the master bedroom of, uh, what was her name? Um, was it Amaldo Marcus? Is that who? The f- Filipino with all the shoes, you know? And then I started to think about my shoes. You know, I've got a, a summer boot, a winter boot or fall boot and then I've got my insulated boot and then I've got my muck boots. Those are four boots right there. I know, we have four seasons. But I've worked hard for these things. No, from the Christian standpoint, I mean, how many of you have felt as if something was growing in your house that you you had no control over? Namely, stuff. Where, where did all this stuff come from? 
You know, what we have in the United States of America compared to so many parts of the world is phenomenal. Just ask Randy, he can report on his recent trip to Nigeria. Okay? So having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But even when these are slightly, slightly threatened, and I mean ever so slightly, ah, it's hair on fire. According to the assertion of the fourth petition, God certainly gives daily bread to everyone. Without our prayers, even to all evil people. If he's going to give daily bread to all evil people, food and drink and clothing, shoes and house and home and so forth, how much more will he provide for his baptized faithful? Okay? So, with these we shall be content, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Now, the love of money is not the root of all evil, but it is a root of all kinds of evil. You see the little bit of a difference there. But the love of money is speaking of the idolatry of money, the idolatry of Stuff. Well, I don't, I don't make an idol out of stuff. Yeah, just let's start taking away some of the stuff. Hey, you can't do that. I need that. Okay? Um, I mean, the thing, I, don't, I never want it to happen to me. I'm sure you don't want it to happen to who does for their house to burn down and they lose all of their possessions. And then all of their memorabilia. So forth. So the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. What does it lead to? Any faith any faith and any trust of the heart that is not in Jesus will always degenerate into self-centered egomania. Always. Because every God, including money, becomes a self-created idol. So, idol worship, if you worship money, or you worship fame, or you worship um, even a, a, a good education and a position you've gotten from that, it will always degenerate into self-centeredness, because behind every one of those idols that you can see, made of wood or stone or paper or whatever, every one of them is the self who has created it. So there's, there's really only two religions, the religion that trusts in Christ or the religion that makes a God out of self. Okay. And so the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And it's manifest. I mean, you see the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. It, it is evident once you get into the parable that the rich man, while he may have given large checks to the community chest to support the poor and indigent, it was no skin off his nose and he did it for his own benefit. So when Lazarus is dead, but in Abraham's bosom, hey, send Lazarus down here to dip his finger and cool my tongue. And then, oh, sorry, Father Abraham says they can't pass you. No, wait a minute, he's arguing with Father Abraham. It's an example of how invariably, inevitably, trust in anything but Christ degenerates into self-centeredness. It always will. It always will. Okay, let's speak this verse together. Having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. For the love of money 
is a root of all kinds of evil. And then the next question to bring this point, so we're praying that we, he would lead us to realize this, which means it's the confidence of faith in the Lord. Yes, for the most important thing, forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation from Jesus. But then he, he actually doesn't want you to starve to death. He actually doesn't want you to freeze to death. So, of, of course, the most important thing is to learn to trust in him for forgiveness, life, and salvation. But what this underscores is to learn to believe that everything that we have is a gift of God's grace. Um, Thanksgiving is an opportunity to think about those things maybe more vividly. Do you ever ask yourself, what is, what is the... What are among the temporal blessings that you so appreciate? There's one that I appreciate very much that you may not have realized. At the time of Jesus, one of the reasons why Judas had to take the soldiers of the Sanhedrin to arrest Jesus is because there was probably just as much nearsightedness back then as there is today. How many of you wear glasses or contact lenses? How many of you could not drive a car without them? Well, yeah. <laughs> Point well taken. All right, could drive them, but they'd be dangerous. If I took off my glasses, you know, I couldn't tell the difference between Pastor and Mrs. Gelbach. That's kind of scary. <laughs> now, I can tell the difference between Sharon and Larry Martin because the, 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 the reflective light is, is very intense. But, I mean, to not be able to see, to not be able to, to, to go outside, you know, and to look at the landscape and to see... See the detail there. What a gift. God certainly gives daily bread to everyone. So I'm, I'm grateful for Brett Rohde who keeps my eyes operational, fully functional. Let's speak this together. What is meant by daily bread? Daily bread includes everything that has to do with the support and needs of the body, such as food, drink, clothing, shoes, house, home, land, animals, money, goods, a devout husband or wife, devout children, devout workers, devout and faithful rulers, good government, good weather, peace, health, self-control, good reputation, good friends, faithful neighbors, and the like, which means, and the like, there's even more. This is just scratching the surface. How much more joy would we have in our lives if every day we thought of the smallest to the greatest things as being gifts of God's daily bread caring for us? How much less would we have than anxiety uh, over these things? We live in a world as part of this um, secular and also pagan age 
where there is always a distance between if there is a deity between him and what goes on in this earth. So we sometimes fall prey to the creed. If it's going to be, it's up to me. Yeah, if it's going to be, it's up to me. Um, as if my house and home and wife and children and land and animals and all that I have is of my doing. The more we learn to believe that while we're taken into this wonderful activity of providing for our family, this is actually God's activity that he gives us the privilege to share in. Share in. Okay? So with that, there's two prayers on the Lord's Prayer this week. The first one, Heavenly Father, you generously give daily bread to us, even to all evil people without our prayers. You richly and daily provide us with everything that we need to support us in our body and life. Lead us to realize this, that we might receive our daily bread with thanksgiving. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. And then the second one takes in all of the items of daily bread mentioned in the list. Heavenly Father, teach us to trust in you for daily bread, and according to your good and gracious will, which is always good and gracious for his children, give us what we truly need to support us in our body and life, including food, drink, clothing, shoes, house, home, land, animals, money, goods, a devout husband or wife, devout children, gifts we don't think of as a part of daily bread, but they're central to it, devout workers, devout and faithful rulers, good government, good weather, peace, health, self-control, good reputation, good friends, faithful neighbors, and the like. All this we ask through Jesus Christ our Lord. When you, when you pray the catechism, then it helps to put the catechesis, the learning that you meditate upon in the text, into the context of then faith and life. And, and your own piety. So that you're taught by the catechism faithfully what the word of God says so that what does prayer do? Prayer speaks back to God what he has spoken to us and claims the very things he wants us to know and to learn and to believe. Okay, So central always to catechesis is to learn to believe. And this week we especially focus on learning to believe that all of daily bread is granted to us by our Lord. Any um, comments or questions you'd like to, to ask? Cherie? I like the fact that self-control is listed in that. You like the fact that self-control <laughs> is... Because I have issues with that. <laughs> My own. So to the extent that you have it, it is a gift from God. Okay? And, and when you, when, and some of those things, when you don't, then they become occasions for confession and the prayer for absolution. Okay, good. Uh, Pastor Jim here. We were taught at Concordia, the summary of all idolatry is worshiping the perpendicular pronoun. Worsh worshiping the perpendicular pronoun. Yeah, that's, that's good. I'm reminded of the hymn, What is the world to me with all its vaunted pleasure? When thou and thou alone, Lord Jesus, are my treasure. I mean, that's just a, a great hymn. One of the, one of the things that, that the assertions of the Christian faith do 
is that we who are weak in faith, we're, we're called to believe these assertions when we're weak, proclaiming the assertions actually strengthens faith. You know, you he made alive who are dead in trespasses and sins. Uh, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. All these things shall be added to you. you know, so the assertions of God which we believe are also the very instrumentality through which God calls us to and strengthens faith. Paul, here I'm here with a microphone even if you speak. Oh, that'll do. All right. Take your word for it. Um, big, uh, powerful... Uh, government, modern transportation, modern communication. And still there's anxiety. Uh, true. But is the trust of the non-believer's heart in these things, is that significant and is it likely to change? Is this something new? It is significant, it is not likely to change, and it's very old. How is it old? Because <clears throat> There's always been some modern invention, even way back in the ancient world, to which people place their ultimate confidence and hope in. Whether it was, um, you know, ships that navigated the Mediterranean that uh, brought cargo to and fro, or the, uh, the roads built by the Romans that allowed for a free you know, travel during the Pax Romana and so forth. There's always been. The fruit of the garden was making it special. Yeah. But the uh, Roman roads were, in some sense, not as powerful as the Internet. Well, yeah. So there's always something new that reflects the age-old temptation to idolatry. And that's why, you know, one thing's needful, Lord, this treasure, teach me highly to regard. All else, though at first give pleasure, is a yoke that presses hard. And the one thing needful is Christ and his word. And that's what Jesus, in these, watch, you know, do not be overcome with dissipation and drunkenness, but, but watch. He bids, bids us to take up the ordinary, which is his word, the catechism the quiet times. So spend less time surfing the internet and more times, more time surfing the scriptures. Okay. All right. Morgan. So being on a military base, right, I'm sort of surrounded with a lot of unbelief, as unfortunate as that is, and yep. it makes it very difficult to have conversations about my faith. And I was wondering, based on what a lot of this petition has to talk about in terms of food and shelter, what would you sort of combat that if somebody who didn't believe asked you, well, why do starving people exist or why are there homeless people? Answer the question, why are there? I mean, the problem of human sin and mankind's rebellion against God. Okay. Um, Part of where I thought you were going to go, you know, how, how, how shall I then live on the military base? I hope every day you, um, you pray at mealtimes asking God's blessing and returning thanks. And yeah, I want people to see that. I want your fellow so soldiers 
to see that. Okay. Um, and to treat people with decency and respect. And <clears throat> if the opportunity presents itself, uh, God is not the author of human sin. And use the analogy, you know, that um, I often use in Bible class about a family, marriage and family. Um, because they say, if there were a God, he wouldn't have allowed this, you know. Um, if Pam and Mark knew you were going to be sinful and make mistakes, and John and Wyatt, why did they have you? Again, it's for love's sake that they did that. Okay? And so it gives us the opportunity to serve our neighbor in need, which is one of the things that I think the church has lost when, <clears throat> when government alone takes up providing uh, the support net as opposed to the church. You know, uh, I was pleased that at our pastor's conference, there are grants that the South Wisconsin District gives for mercy work from 500 to a couple of thousand dollars. And it had this name that's forgettable. That's why I can't remember it. But it was, <clears throat> it was a mercy work coupled with word and sacrament ministry, which is what our own Reverend Dr. Edwin Silflo championed. So I was pleased that we passed a resolution to rename it the Reverend Dr. Edwin S. Silflo uh, Mercy uh, Grants. Because what he championed in the inner city was to bring about um, congregational work in food pantries, clothing pantries, with catechesis, word and sacrament ministry. So to have um, those in the inner city coming, you can come. We will feed you, we'll give you uh, clothing, and we will also give you the word of God. And so um, everybody jumped on that unanimously, so you can look for that on the South Wisconsin District. But that, this is what, <clears throat> we tend to make these accusations against God in a vacuum without seeing you know, who is really at fault for these things. Right, in the, in, the, in the story of uh, Noah, let's go to Genesis chapter 9 to tie a few things together here. And this ties in with the gifts of daily bread and the promise of the fourth petition. The sign of the rainbow which was a sign of God's covenant, not only with Noah as a believer, but a promise God made to the whole world, indeed the whole of creation. In other words, God made the promise to the birds of the air and the cattle and the creeping things, all of creation, that he would never again destroy the earth with a flood. So verse 14, it shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The waters shall never again become a flood. 
to destroy all flesh. Notice how that promise echoes the teaching of the fourth petition. God certainly gives daily bread to everyone without our prayers, even to all evil people. We pray in this petition he would lead us to realize this. August. Let him ask the question. How then are there still floods that happen in Okay, good, August. Go to the text and answer the question. There you go. I will never again destroy all living flesh. There is suffering. There is death. There are localized floods and earthquakes and hurricanes. Um, do you think, Jesus said, do you think the people upon whom the Tower of Siloam fell, like 9-11 fell, kill all, uh, uh, Twin Towers, do you think that they were any more wicked than those upon whom the Tower did not fall? I tell you no, but unless you likewise repent, you also shall perish. Okay, So these localized incidents of um, death, it is important to acknowledge, and Morgan, this ties in with you, behind your question and those who would criticize is the idea that this is unfair. I'm entitled to something. When we confess that God gives daily bread to everyone, we're not confessing entitlement. The Lord gives. The Lord takes away. If he didn't give life, none of us would be here to argue about the life that he's given. You follow? So his gift of life, he alone gives it. He alone has the right to take it. But we act as if we are entitled. There's no such thing as entitlement. But the fact that these bad things happen, August, is for the cause of repentance. That's what the curse of the fall is there for. God cursed the creation. In pain you shall bring forth children. In the sweat of your brow you shall eat bread. For dust you are, to dust you shall return. Those things that God did in the curse of the fall are to serve the cause of repentance. But as great as, or horrific, you might say, as a tsunami might be, it's nothing compared to the tsunami of the great flood that he promises never again will I do this. Okay. Good. I don't, who, who is? Carrie. See, this is how Pastor Gelbach to get his steps. <laughs> Um, Is there a doctor in the house uh, on CPR? I, I find it a very black and white argument to suggest that God, you know, is not doing his work by allowing, you know, horrible things to happen because those that argue that, I think, suggest that he isn't doing his work. He isn't acting and, and you know, providing relief in how, countless ways that we have no idea. They just focus on those instances where it... Yeah, and we do this too as Christians, don't we? Mm -hmm. Everything is provided for us. The one thing that seems to be lacking is what we fixate on. Right. But also this. Um, did you teach 
Alec here anything for his growth and protection as a young man? Yes, you have. Now, if he takes that teaching, flaunts it, and says, eh, you don't know what you're talking about, will he suffer the consequences of being an idiot? <laughs> yes, he will. And is suffering the consequences of being an idiot also beneficial for him? Yes, it is. Okay? Now, fortunately, he heeds the vast majority of what you have to say and teach. And things go well then, don't they, Alec? And they don't go so well when you don't. See, if you put things back in the context of a family, and then you understand the love of father and mother, you're closest to being able to understand the love of God and to answer some of those hard questions. Okay? If it weren't for you and Cindy, he wouldn't be here. You know, if it weren't for God as creator, none of us would be here to be able to argue about the things that he doesn't do well. <laughs> you know, when you can create the universe by a word, then you're in a position to be on the same level with God and debate what it is that he does. Notice, remember what I said before, you know, 20 minutes or so ago, any faith that is not in the Lord Jesus will end up invariably being self-centered and arrogant. Is it not true? Okay. Uh, so, verse 18. Now the sons of Noah who went out from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham was the father of Canaan, these three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was populated. So we all descended from Noah through one of his three sons. And Noah began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. Now can you imagine, you have been in this ark for a long time. You have built this ark over a long period of time before the flood came. To which, at the end of all of this, Noah's basic reply was, I need a drink. <laughs> now you laugh, but I'm not, uh, I'm not being facetious. Then he drank a... Because the psalmist says he gave wine to gladden the heart. Then he drank of the wine and was drunk and became uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Now, exactly the nature of the nakedness is sometimes debated by theologians. Some, A, take it to be simply that, that he was naked without clothing. Others uh, entertain the notion that he was engaged with Mrs. Noah. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. 
In either case, Ham looks upon his father's nakedness and gossips about his nakedness, his drunkenness, his lack of presumed discretion with his brothers. We can anticipate the um, Eighth Commandment and its explanation to make close one's eyes and make one's ears a tomb and not to spread a bad press about anyone, least of all your father. But Shem, Ham, and Japheth took a garment. And so I, I uh, well, they took a garment. They laid it on both their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Notice how they quite literally bent over backwards to cover whatever shame Ham was reporting. Their faces were turned away and they did not see their father's nakedness. So Noah awoke from his wine. So I, I personally take this to be especially a, a drunken stupor. Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done to him, which is, of course, cause of great embarrassment. Now, someone could say, well, Noah deserved it. Well, whether he deserved it or not, it wasn't for Ham to shame his father. And he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, he shall be to his brethren. One of the things that you ought to find interesting with this passage is, do the sins of the father abrogate the responsibility of the father to do according to his office? Do you get the question? Do the, do the failings and sins of a man abrogate his responsibility to, to carry out the duties of his office. Randy. No, because if they did, none of us would have any office. Correct. No, because if they did, none of us would have any office at all. None of us could act. If we say, yes, they do, then we're saying that the duties of office are based upon merit, not upon God's call command and grace that has put us in that office. In this regard, one of the things I find comforting about Old and New Testament is how un... uh, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? The men and women of the Bible are not sanitized in how the history is reported to us. In other words, we get to see these men and women exactly the way they were. And look at how realistic this is. You've got Noah, he's over 600 years old, and he's had to build this ark, and he's had to do what he's had to do, and he's had to be on the boat with all these critters and the stink and the stench, and he's had to endure the rejection of his people. Who can, who can blame him or who can't understand how he wanted to go home and have a scotch? Now, well, if Noah were more pious, 
he would not have overindulged in wine. To which I reply, well, I thank God I'm more pious than Noah. You see the point? You see these men and women realistically. And, and you see what St. Paul will later talk about in terms of the dual nature. Old Adam, new man, uh, the unbelieving nature, and the believing nature. And so that's why I say it's very comforting because we can see ourselves in them. And God calls us to daily renewal uh, in the faith. And um, Shem and Japheth give us a pattern, an example of how the Christian should react by covering over with mercy the failings and shortcomings of another. All right, so we are next week going to hear the ministry of angels. Please don't stay away, even though it's this, even though Pastor Gelbach is throwing iPads around, don't stay away. Uh, come and hear and celebrate the ministry of angels uh, in their, in their role in salvation history. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.